Welcome to On the Road to No Place Left. This is Feeney, and I'm driving as we learn to share the gospel, make disciples, and reproduce leaders and churches until there is no place left where the name of Jesus hasn't been heard. This interview is a great picture of what goes on under the hood in a movement. Pardon the pun, but it paired well with the On the Road podcast. This is a little bit longer. Uh, it was recorded by some friends of mine that are taking a deep dive on the subject of money and movements. They graciously allowed me to repost this, but I cut out the names and places for security purposes, so you may hear some gaps in the audio throughout. Let's jump in. Just looking at you, it looks like you didn't start 14 years ago as a young man. We had the idea that you don't retire in the Lord's kingdom. Retirement is going to heaven. So we planned on uh, serving until we couldn't serve anymore. So, For me, as I work in this area, one of the most complicated or difficult sets of questions is how to use money in a way that's helpful toward multiplication and not harmful. What have you seen as kind of the downsides, the disadvantages of money in missions generally and more specifically in, in multiplying movements? Whenever you introduce money, especially for salaries, then you, you really don't, it's really hard to find out if they're doing it for the right reason. I would say that's the biggest problem because a lot of people will will come out of the woodwork if you're going to pay them. <laughs> and then if they're not uh, true disciples, then they end up, uh, I mean, th- you'll find out eventually, but that you, wa- you wasted a lot of kingdom money and resources in the process. Our logic at first, uh, now that we have a, 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 a movement with a lot of people in it, I mean, it's small compared to movements around the world, but uh, but it's large enough that, that according to uh, Curtis, is that we should pay them something. That they're the only ones that we pay, and we only pay them three hundred dollars a month, mm-hmm. the equivalent of three hundred dollars a month. But it's after they had developed the movement. It's after they had done many years worth of work. And uh, demonstrated that they were, you know, they had a heart, a true heart. I think the the mistake that's easily made is pay people and they join you, and then you find out that they're not, they, their heart's not there. Yeah. yeah. They're just doing it for a, a job. And so, as added people over the years, uh, these missionary, you call them missionary bands. If we were, and I, that's probably a pretty good description. As we started different uh, segment teams, se- segment leader teams that were targeting, uh, it's a Muslim context. We didn't pay salaries, said, we'll give you $2 a day for food for you and the person you're mentoring, a motorbike to cover a county sized area. Uh, they didn't, they don't call them counties here, but uh, that's how I think of it. It's too too big of an area to walk. Uh-huh. And um, on the days you go out, you'll have access to uh, transportation, food, and we'll take care of the, any maintenance on the bike that needs to be done. 
Well, so then it entered more into expense expenses only. They were doing it without pay. They were doing it basically for expenses. So it was still a, a fairly decent test to see if they're in it for the right reason. And uh, for in our situation, that has proven to allow us to advance and multiply the movement. Yeah, um, as so, we expand in different different new areas over the years. So let me go. Let me go backwards and sort of say what I hear you saying. You tell me if I got it right. Which is you have these two key leaders who've been right, and you divided up your territory into a number of districts, and yeah. and you had these little teams of one of these leaders. I think of it as a Timothy who would travel with them and you gave them a motorcycle, $2 a day for food and maintenance on the motorcycle, basically to cover their expenses as they were on missionary journeys. <laughs> on and, the days that they were entering into villages, establishing groups, discipleship groups. And how did, the, how did they support their families? Well, you know, when we first came we tried to help them with different business adventures, but that the, everything we tried just didn't work. Their, their heart was in DMMs. Their heart was not in businesses. Probably if, it, if there's anything that ever got close to fighting, it was related to businesses that they weren't doing properly. So, so we, we got away from, from that. And they, we plant, they still have gardens and stuff. Uh, they do a lot of game planting. They uh, wipe, make soap. They survive on a little of nothing. Uh-huh. They go out and fish, have fish uh, to eat. They, I mean, they they they, ra- they have chickens run around. They, chickens pretty much eat scraps, and right now he's doing rabbits. So I mean, it, he's tried a number of things. Yeah, he's also now selling honey. So he has bee beehives and stuff. So. Each of them by themselves don't add up to much, but but together it. He's got nine kids. Him, him, and both have nine kids. And they, <laughs> they make it. What what I heard you say basically is they're essentially subsistence farmers and fishermen, and exactly you guys are helping them with expenses to be able to travel on these missionary journeys. That, yeah. and that's, what, that's what made me think that they were doing it for the right reason because you know I was thinking to myself if, if I was sitting at home and wanted to go wanted to learn how to be a pioneer uh, disciple maker and had an experienced person wanting to mentor me but I couldn't afford it but I said no well we're going to meet you over here take it find out how to get there you're on your own get if you're there then we'll train you it's just out of the question. They can't do it. They don't have any, they don't have that kind of extra money sitting around that would allow them to do it. So that's why we focus more on just helping them for the ones that would do it for only expense money, um, that that's what we do. Okay. Let me jump in. I heard another principle. Um, I heard him say, don't support people based on their potential support people who are already doing these things and then support their ministry. Don't right. get involved in salaries for those who exactly. might, could, or would in the future. Look at those who are already doing what it is you want done 
and then facilitate them doing it more broadly or, or more, let's just say with more disciples. Yeah, all the time approached. Uh, I'll help you go make disciples. How much will you pay me? Yeah. You know, and, and they say, well, how many disciples have you made? <laughs> I haven't made any disciples. That's what you're supposed to show me how to do that. They said, well, you go make disciples. You de develop a four by four and then come talk to me. You were saying when you develop a four by four, what's a four by four? Uh, my, what we've heard over the years, I mean, it's been hard uh, defining what a movement is and asking around what I've been told is a minimum of four streams. So four individuals that, that have generationally multiplied uh, four generations. Okay. So four, four by four is about a hundred with about a hundred groups. Okay. It, it was interesting listening to you because it sounded like the way you've handled finances with these two leaders has shifted as the movement has grown. And so more recently, you've been paying them really support. Um, yeah. When you think about it, $300 is not enough to support their family. But it's it's at least showing them that we believe in them. Do you feel like in a movement, there are sort of some things, some kinds of things where that you should financially support, and then other kinds of things you're better off not putting money into? Yeah, I, I struggle with that a lot, because when I was a missions minister back in the U.S. in a, me in a megachurch environment, I would have said doing what I'm doing is wrong because it's creating dependency. <laughs> But I saw all these people that I said would go, would love to go. They're just sitting at home with not, no job. And he really he really saw uh, an eager heart and willingness to learn when he invested into them. And uh, so, uh, yeah, I th I've come, come to change my definition of a dependency to not include expense money because you're 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 not paying a person a salary. You're. See, you're giving them the opportunity to show what they can do by just being mentored, mauled. The term we use is maul that Curtis uh, taught us, model, just watch and leave. And mm -hmm. and so all these guys, he mauled his guy, this Timothy, basically for a year and a half. He was a pioneering spirit type of guy, was looking for somebody more apostolic gifted in it. They could go out on their own. And so now that person has gone ahead and gotten a mentor or somebody to mentor and then got somebody else to mentor. And, and we moved. We, we let uh, the two segments that we started in had a lot of groups going and a lot of levels of leaders that had risen up. And so we left that to go. And then we moved to four new segments. And there's 12 segments divided into 12 segments so to make a long story short now we have 12 guys that have been just about a year and a half of training and and they're ready to um these new 12 guys that have been mentored are ready to go to new areas so we've had that that more of a deeper um mentor, mentorship going the the whole time practically from Curtis's training till now. 
which was in February 2015. So, so basically, all of this has unfolded since 2015. Is that what you're saying? Uh, and, and what's yeah. the date now? Yeah. So that anybody listed this Two, knows the, the 2022. Around. So that's seven years. Seven years. In the earlier phases of the movement, you you were helping with expenses for these teams that were going from where they live to a new area. And that there were really yes. there were really two purposes of those teams. One was to evangelize plant churches and make disciples. The second was multiplication of leaders. I think of you know like Paul and Timothy. <laughs> That at this yeah. point, they've multiplied leaders sufficiently so that you've got teams in 12 regions. We, we have uh, disciple-making groups going on in every village. I, I would be interested, this is Bill jumping in, in the earliest few years, yeah. how did you use your money? Now you're seven years into this with seg 12 segments and two well-trained guys. In your first several years, how are you using your funds? Is that any different than now? Oh, yeah. The, the trial and error wasted a lot of money, um, mostly on trying to help key leaders to develop businesses, uh, like a tree farm with the 500 tree, uh, fruit trees on it, taxi cab business. I mean, there, there's a ton of things. I mean, short, uh, cell phone charging business. I mean, the the big, the most successful thing was the taxi cab when I was, and uh, he showed me his uh, checking account every every week, balanced his book, and make sure he was putting money aside for the next taxi cab, as well as had money. How much was he taking for salary or for profit? And um, we went back to the U.S. and all that money was lost when his sister got sick and died and he spent all of his savings taking care of her. And I would have, too, if I was him. So everything we tried did not work. I kept thinking we could find something. But if you got a DMM or and he's a true DMM or his heart usually isn't into business. It's into winning people, discipling them. And... Um, being willing to sacrifice greatly to do so. So we gave away uh, chips to to key people. And by chips, I mean memory cards. Uh, they call them memory cards here, but I call them micro SD chip. A 16 gig chip costs about five US dollars. I can put on, put four or five different languages with uh, New Testament, Jesus film, all kinds of Bible resources in the mother tongue of the people that we, we live around because 80% couldn't read or write. So, so we, we did spend quite a bit of money on distributing chips. Um, as the segment leaders started uh, developing in, in more of the segments, we made sure that they had a tablet with 128 gigabyte chip with all the languages on it and could burn chips on the fly. They would carry blank chips with them. And as they ran across people that that were um, good candidates for uh, disciple-making, they would get put a chip in their phone. Because, like I said, 80% of the people can't read. And so you, there's no way uh, they can make disciples if they're not feeding, breathing in the Word of God. Yeah. 
on a regular basis. So we, we, uh, built a studio <laughs> that was very expensive. We took a lot of our savings and, uh, to linguistics, literacy and Bible translation is a Wycliffe affiliated organization. And we developed a partnership with them, built, a uh, a recording video audio recording studio under their what they called vernacular media department where they were already trying to do this somewhat with the bibles that they had translated they translated like 50 bibles from the northern region language by the time we got here and so what i, I my my pitch to them was what good is it if 80 percent of the pe- people in the culture still have no access to the bible and they were in agreement. So we, you know, I have three guys I've been training and they've been burning uh, a recording, I should say, for Jesus film and faith comes by hearing. And- so, so going back to Bill's question, sort of how are you spending money differently now than you were in the past? Sounds like early in your ministry, you spent a lot of time and energy and money trying to help your key apostolic guys start businesses that they could use to support themselves. And that was basically a flop (laughs) that you also spent quite a bit of time and money and energy providing basically Bible access. And in this case, it's audio recordings. Yeah. Because the, the literacy level is only about 20%. Was that a flop or was that worth doing? That has always been a success. Every month when the guys turn in reports, they're requesting more chips. We wanted them to have the access to the scripture. And we, we also made copies of several uh, story sets. So key strategic sets of stories that teach a lot of more, more topical. You know, what's the Bible say about witchcraft? What's the Bible say about idolatry? What, you know, the 50, 50 stories from Genesis to like through Romans more of a chronological approach what's uh parables all the parables and then they could they could pick and choose you know if there were 50 stories rarely would they go if all 50 stories that'd be 50 weeks so that they might go uh eight eight weeks and then switch over to uh five four or five six weeks of parables and then go back and continue with the chronological so i mean that's the beauty of this through uh, he, he also over the years has developed a peer mentoring network that, and with different levels of leaders. And there's a certain level that meets with him. The segment leaders meet with him monthly and now has his own segment leaders and Bobby has his own segment leaders. And then all their segment leaders go and share with uh, the section leaders below them. And then the section leaders down to the subsection leaders and then village leaders. So, so it can be passed throughout the whole network that way. So it sounds like when it comes to resources, you know, the Bible resources, you're willing to spend quite a bit of money and not worried about dependency. When it comes to paying salaries, you're more concerned about the downside of doing that. Right. God, I don't know anybody that thinks of giving Bibles as creating dependency. You know, in our case, a, a Bible that, somebody can read they'd hold upside down i mean it would it would be a no value so and and my the bibles that we make are cheaper than the bibles you can buy buy and give away so 
Yeah, no, not not one instant did I think that that was creating dependency. That was just giving people access to scripture. Yeah. Mm-hmm. If if you had to do it over again, is there anything you'd change about the way you've handled money? Well, <laughs> yeah. If I if I knew that I was going to spend waste a lot of support money for businesses that didn't work, I would not have done that again. Uh huh. I would, I would, I didn't, of course, I didn't know about Gilbert until well into, I mean, after I've been here for several years. Um, but if I didn't, I mean, that's, that needed to be right at the beginning of, of the, uh, the strategic plan of developing a partnership with them because they're, they've already done the translation, which is the hard work. So uh, the easy work is just, you know, getting it into audio format. Uh, it just they already have the teams of people that recorded it, so we just go and bring those people into the studio and record them reading the Bible that they rec- that they translated. So when I came, I had no clue that that's what I needed to do. It took me it took me probably three four years before I I saw saw what I needed to do in that regard. Yeah, persistence is key, brother. <laughs> Absolutely, Absolutely. You have to work your plan first. And when you find your plan doesn't work so well, you need to start listening, uh, looking around and see what God's trying to tell you. Very good insight. A minute ago, you mentioned that your two fellas had a peer mentoring network that really multiplies out and multiplies out and has taken several years to develop that. Okay. Was there any yeah. funding required for them to build that peer mentoring, that pyramid? That, that what you described is it's really moving down from each of those fellows and multiplying like a pyramid. Any funding required to put that in place? Because that seems to be one of the essentials that you have. That's one of the benefits of the of and the mentor that he or the, the different segment leaders and the people that are being mentored because. They're the ones that, as groups start popping up, then, and then they start multiplying. It's real easy to see the ones that multiply like crazy, and the ones that don't multiply. And mm-hmm. and so then then they started identifying those that were generationally multiplying and saying, "Would you be a seg- uh, section leader over ten subsection leaders?" So. 10 group leaders in the next level down, basically. It started out small, so it's nothing major. Now, I, I mean, I have no idea uh, the total of segment leaders, section leaders, subsection leaders, and village leaders, but I just, all I know is that uh, we try to keep it a limited span of care of 10. So for every, every 10 leaders, we need a, a coach. One layer is called a segment leader, coach, section leader, coach, next, next level down. Subsection leader and then village leaders. If there if there are multiple groups in a village, then we have also village leader. I, I want to put my finger on a theme that's getting repeated in this interview, and that is that what Bill said earlier on, which is let's look for the people who are doing it and help exactly. them rather than look for people exactly. who we think we have potential and help them or pay them. That is so important. And it looks like you've been doing that with money that you look for the guys who were doing it and then help them some with their expenses. 
And that you're also doing that with investing mentoring. Your team is looking for the people who are in fact multiplying. And those are the ones they invest their mentoring time and energy into. Exactly. And of course, by the time the year and a half is up, is watching because the person he's mentoring and concludes when he's ready to go out on his own. That's when we buy him a motorbike, send him to a different area and helps him select an, uh, an apprentice mm-hmm. or somebody to, to mentor. So all of that can be done in, on, in that year and a half. Interesting. Actually, it could be done quicker, but for for the most part, I think it's it's normally ha- a lot, taken about a year and a half mm-hmm. for the ones that have trained. Well, even on the ones that they haven't trained, because there's several out there been mentored by other people now. Um, there's been chiefs of villages that have come to Christ that been what I would call uh, super spreaders. I mean, 29 generations. And, you know, so somebody that gets it like that, you know, it's a no brainer. You put them, you know, they're, they're a new segment leader <laughs> and they're working with their, all the people in their segment to help them do the same thing. They're the ones that can model how they do it. And, and it is caught that way. Good. Let me tell you what I think I heard and you correct me. You have some key leaders who typically invest 18 months in raising up someone else. And 18 yes. months is not fixed. It's based on maturity and skill set. And once they right. have raised someone up, then they provide that person a motorbike and tell them to do the same thing. Right. And, okay. and we provide them with transportation, $2 a day food for them and the person they're mentoring and, and maintenance. So, so roughly, and how many how many motorbikes and how many people are receiving two dollars a day? I don't need exact figures, but 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 to, to give our audience an understanding of the scope and the expense, because people want to know the expense. Yeah, it's a good question because even that will eventually become huge. Depends on how long you want yes. to keep doing that. Right now we have we have 12 segments. 12 motorbikes and 12 new apprentices ready to go. But I'm transitioning out of the field at the end of the year and wanting to rethink from this point on in a creating financial sustainability what they need to rethink about how we're doing it. Because when it goes to 24, I mean, technically, I have 12 motorbikes that are well used and to buy more 12 more that's the biggest expense that we've now we've always done it with grants and so different groups would would adopt different uh segment and, and give us a three-year grant and that's that's how that's how we maintain it but the grants are coming to an end i don't have the financial uh cash flow to do 12 motorbikes and go to the next level. So, so, the, uh, so the, the segment leaders right now are talking primarily, it's the segment leaders that are talking, trying to come up with a, a plan that will work well, particularly for new areas to go to. Mm-hmm. Um, just recently I found out that the, the segment leaders 
were able to raise money to buy two new motorbikes for an area, two new areas. Uh, so that'll take care of two of them, but there's still 10 more. That example that you were just giving us, so that a segment leaders bought two more motorbikes. Where did that money come from? Uh, I, I don't know if I got it from some friends. And, well, I, first of all, they, they've taken offerings. Uh, the groups have taken offerings now. They primarily use their offerings for um, reaching out to people that live around them. So they're hundred nameless or household or whatever you, term you want to use. And so, that, and and they've really developed being known. These discipleships have really become known as loving care groups, because, for example, when when somebody has a funeral here, the, the practice is extended family will come and stay with you until the food is gone, and that means if you had a dozen chickens, you now have no chickens, and if you had a couple of goats. You don't have goats. And I've come to believe that that is really wrong with his something that's really wrong with his culture. And and so he's been encouraging the groups to wait until the families leave and go home. <laughs> and then they several groups will take offerings and help buy chicken, goats, and get get the widow or widow or back on their feet. And that that is really spoken loudly hmm. in a Muslim culture. One movement would would send offerings to the movement when a, when a village was ta- attacked and wiped out, and they actually uh, went over and helped them buy the. Uh, they needed far, uh, hose and uh, the village to get back far, uh, farming. That was all stolen and destroyed, or destroyed, and um, clothes. They took a lot of used clothing. So, um, yeah, so that, those are the things that are creating a very positive attitude toward uh, discipleship groups. So you, care. you sort of anticipated my next question, which my next question is what, what happens to the movement you're involved in if the outside funds disappear? My, my goal, I mean, we each of the segments now have a well, lots of coaches within walking distance. It needed a motorcycle to start, but as the motorcycles wear out, the goal was that all these coaches would carry on with the work in the areas that they live and can walk to. So what I'm going to focus on in the next phase when I go home, because it's start connecting now with other DMM works going on in Africa because he's in like uh, 10 different countries already him and between him and there they've they've got you know, uh, 100 groups for uh, four by four stream with 100 groups in well eight countries and two that are well on the way praise God and uh, West African countries. What I think you said in answer to the question, what happens to the movement I'm involved in if outside money dries up, is that the places where the movements are pretty well established are pretty well set up to continue, even if the motorcycles wear out, because you've got you've got enough coaches close enough that people can walk and do that. Satellites yeah. have a vision to keep pushing outward 
And that's probably going to continue to need some amount of funding yes. from you for somebody else. I was trying to get the movement itself to help with that, with taking one of their offerings from each group, the equivalent of $2, because the offerings are not big, uh, of two U.S. dollars. If you get 2,000 groups, contribute $2 a month, once a month, given one of their offerings, they could they could pay for going to other countries. Mm-hmm. But so far, they've not bought ends up in the movement have not bought into that. I think it's probably going to have to even multiply, you know, right now there's about 30,000 people in 45 to 4,700 groups. I got a stack of reports in there that I haven't entered yet, so I really don't know the exact total. So the multiplication continues, then I'm more and more people and more, I mean, and as the reputation continues for them being uh, love and care focused and uh, followers of e-solemacy, which is another whole new mm-hmm. thing that we emphasize, but uh, more of a contextual Muslim approach. I th- I just, I don't see any reason why it's going to stop mm-hmm. uh, now that the network of coaches are there. Mm-hmm. And they all and the and the different levels of coaches that are meeting monthly. That will continue, as well as them then taking what they learned at that monthly meeting and sharing with the ten that they're responsible for. Well, brother, it it sounds like these have been fourteen years really well invested. That God God has used your your time and your energy and your perseverance to advance His kingdom. Praise the Lord, Bill. Did you? Oh. Did you have anything you wanted to say to sort of wrap things up? I really liked what you said. I am rejoicing at the fruit God has given through you and and these local brothers. Uh, a couple comments. Yeah. A couple of times I ask you about numbers, and it is evident you are not a numbers-driven guy. You talk about personalities. You talk about your disciples. You talk about love and care. I think that's one of the secrets here. Because I live in a world of foreigners yeah. who are constantly talking numbers. The fact that you're not, I think, is one right. of your criteria for success here. So, brother, I'm, I'm just telling you what, what, what I'm seeing here. I'm hearing you talk about multiplying generation, expanding pyramid of coaches that does right. not require finances. Right. I'm hearing, I'm hearing you say these coaches are deeply embedded in the lives of their 10 disciples at whatever level, and that's going to continue. There's a word I did not hear you use, but I think describes this situation. I think in the New Testament, generosity is a key spirit that we look for, and I'm hearing you say mm-hmm. at the grassroots, your people are generous. You know, it may take them a month's worth of offerings, but, <laughs> but I mean, uh, there's plenty of need all around them. Right. And, I, and I'm hearing you say basically subsistence farmers who are living as a persecuted minority who may have to piece together their own income with multiple little small revenue streams are sacrificially giving to support the widows or big disaster in or something else that they're aware of. You are reading this picture right. And that part of it has really been exciting to watch. I really think the love and care and the generosity are going to result in 
I mean, to me, if multiplication does its number, finances should not be a problem eventually. <laughs> I mean, and they, they'll figure out a way, uh, when, especially if they're already if they're giving and finding out in their giving they can help and reach out to other people. That create what's an appetite for even greater, greater giving. It sounds like the people are real generous, sort of at a local level, that they've got the vision to help there, but that the the higher level, you know, kingdom expansion out to other countries might be a little bit hard for subsistence farmers in a small village to picture. Yeah, exactly. Because because culturally, if you're walking through a village and they're eating, you will be invited. Every family you walk by, you are invited. That's what they'll say. You are invited. And they're very sharing. Uh, and this is a Muslim context. Very sharing in that that way. I mean, hospitable. That's what we have been experiencing. We think, and that gives us great hopes that, that that will be one of the things that will help this movement continue. The multiplication added to their generosity. Let, let me bring up something that we may not want to pursue. You're up to roughly 30,000 believers and roughly 4,700 groups. Are you investing in training yeah. leaders? Is there, is there cash flow? Is there outside investment? And I say that because in much of West Africa, there's massive money into Sending somebody to Bible school, sending sending them to some town for some thirty day, sixty day, two month course. So, have you got outside cash flow into that aspect, or how do you handle that aspect? And that's another thing that we've totally changed from when we first came. We spent we trained hundreds and hundreds of pastors, uh, and spent thousands and thousands of dollars. And we were asked by one occurrences. Friends, he sent over here to do the second module of Zume training. He said the guy asked us first thing out of the plane, uh, "How many, uh, how many implementers do you have of the hundreds of pastors you train?" And I looked at each other and said zero. So actually, it's turned a little sour on training. Uh, he'd rather take. I mean, what he's doing for Big Life right now, he's going to all their country leaders. And he's saying, we're not going to train pastors this, t- this trip. You're going to mm-hmm. go with me, and we're going to go and find people of peace and start groups. And once you learn that, then that's what I want to hear you do every month reporting to me. What, what people of peace have you found? How many groups have you started? Not how many pastors you've trained. So our shift right now is we hardly do any pastor training anymore. I, I should say, with the exception of my coaching, I'm coaching pastors all the time. I'm a Zume coach. Mm-hmm. And out of the probably 200 that I've coached, I've got eight that I'm multiplying. And Big Life is following up and mauling them. Okay. So, so Big Life is, they're interested in people that are implementing, but they're not interested in trainings that result in no fruit. And that, that largely is because of. I mean, I should say big life in Africa It's the continent leader. And I, I think he totally agrees with what we're saying because he's seen the same thing. It, it, you do all these trainings, you have so few to implement. And, you know, you spend thousands of dollars. How else can we spend that money? Yeah. <laughs> mm-hmm. 
let me reshape the question and and redefine the question. Okay, you said it was pretty well useless to spend money training existing pastors because you had very little implementation. Out of these several thousand implementing DMM leaders that you have, are you investing outside money in giving them what would be, typically be Bible school training, Bible training, leadership training, that kind of oh, thing? Oh, no. And does, that, and does no. that cost you anything? No, we, we, don't, we don't send anybody to hire. I mean, it's not that Bible college training is, is bad. It's just that's so slow. We got to finish the Great Commission in this generation, and and we feel like sending somebody off to Bible college and and spending all that money, and then maybe finding out now that they're Bible college trained, they can't do it, do what they have to do. We just won't go there. It doesn't talk about Bible college. Period. I've never taken him to U.S. and don't plan on taking him to U.S. And I told him why. I don't want him ruined. And we got a job to do, and that is the continent of Africa needs to be set on fire with DMMs, and Africa is either finish a great commission before I die. And and he's bought into that hook line. I mean, I, I don't know how that came across. I don't mean it as prideful. I, I mean it as <laughs> I've been very passionate, and he's very passionate. He's, he's approached all the time with cars, uh, offers at large churches. And, and when they say, you, you're going to come and you're going to help uh, as one of the pastors at this church, he says, your vision is too small. We want to finish the Great Commission. All right, Terry, you, you answered one of my questions. How do you protect your from being bought off with houses, cars, and salaries into much lower effectiveness at completing the Great Commission? Because we all live in right. a world of multiple donors, multiple agencies that would love to hire your key people. Right. Exactly. And, and all I can say is I know he's been approached many times. Unfortunately, so far, the vision is too small. Now, one of the country leaders has just found out recently on Facebook, he is a continent leader for, which I've never heard of, in my life and what is reporting that they're doing is what we're doing our pictures are everything <laughs> so now one of the things that gets to solve and challenge you know what's happening here are they contributing toward the budgets for trainings are they contributing toward anything how are they in any way a partner in in this and 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 uh, isn't this dishonest and are you receiving income? So all these questions, uh, I I just had a meeting uh, about four days ago, and he asked the pro he asked the pro this leader about that. Uh, so I don't know. We'll see if he makes makes it or not. I mean, if he is repentant and clean and honest, he'll work through it. But yeah, I think he he was not at all sat happy to, to find this out. So I just, and he'll have a lot more tact in dealing with it than me. I'm too abrasive sometimes. I, I, I think it got a taste with the movement here and, 
and how it's expanded to so many other countries so quickly that this really is the way to do it. Yeah. To me, me what you're saying is so interesting because what you're saying basically is that the thing that protects from the temptation of other less multiplicative organizations is, is he understands and owns the vision to multiply. And, and so as he's getting these offers, he's running them through exactly. the filter, will this multiply? And if the answer is no, he's saying no to it, even though it would be more money for yeah. him. I, w- I was just thinking, yep. what, what are my takeaways from this conversation? And the, the things I've taken away are invest in doers, not in potential. Don't be afraid to spend resources on appropriate Bible translation, access, audio recordings, whatever. You've invested in expenses for what I would think of as apostolic journeys, people going out of their own territory to take the gospel somewhere else, but that the network of churches in any existing place is really you haven't put any money into that, that, that they're expected to be self-sustaining that, that training without doing is worthless. And, and you and I talked a few days ago that, that I had a similar experience, you know, where I've trained tons of people with no doers. Mm -hmm. And, and I was thinking, I was thinking you were, you were saying sort of, I'm not investing in training leaders with things like Bible school and whatever. But actually, your network is spending a ton of resources on training leaders. You've got your key guys oh, investing yeah. a year and a half in multiplying leaders. It's just not a big financial investment. And, and it's not really formal. It's just sort of informal on-the-job training, but which right. is resulting in multiplication of leaders. Right. Exactly. I guess my other takeaway is you had a really you had this picture of helping people start businesses, which at least in your case, just didn't work. And I'll step in here and say many, many, many others have tried the same thing. And in most of them, it has not worked. Hope you enjoyed that interview. You can connect with me, ask any questions or comments at ontheroad.link. That's ontheroad.link. This is Feeney, just passing on an interview from some friends. Thanks for listening. The On the Road podcast is to encourage you and your church to share the gospel, make disciples, and reproduce leaders and churches until there is no place left where the name of Jesus hasn't been heard.